Hello. How are you today? I'm good. I'm, uh, I think I'm echoey. Do you hear an echo? You sound a little, you sound a little echoey. So it, it must be the new floor in your office. So, so here's, here's the thing. What, what is in my office is a desk and a table. Well, like a, uh, sorry. Yeah. A table. I have a table too. And some bookshelves. What's not in my office is everything else that uh, keeps the sound from echoing. Yeah. Like books and uh, pictures on the wall. Um, but there is new carpet, new new flooring carpet. So that's nice. But it's uh, it's not helping with the echoiness. Huh. So so I'm gonna I'm, I think I'm gonna just be an echo chamber today. Hopefully it doesn't hurt our listeners' ears. Okay. Um, yeah, and probably uh, the the astute uh, the astute audiophiles in the audience um, will notice that my sound is different too because I am uh, podcasting from my uh, my regular office as opposed to my home office. You sound very warm. Sounds like there's a fire, crackling fire near in your office. Well, uh, I've, sounds like... I've lit some books on fire. <laughs> Maybe that, that's that where that my talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, they're here. I'm burning them. Why are you burning my books, dog? Because books are evil, Ben. Books are evil. I don't know. Uh, I'm not really sure how to make it less echoey in here. I think basically I can't I do fill, anything. Fill it with stuff. I think I'm going to fill it with some stuff. I actually really like the um, uh, minimalist aspect of what's going on in my office right now. I, I have these like two bookshelves that are open, um, like all open sides. They're from uh, I don't know, like a World Market or something. They're very they're they're from uh, they're international. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, and now they have nothing on them, and I just like the look of them. I may leave it like this, but put in some panels to uh, to podcast with, you know, to, to stop the echoey chamberness. Yeah, maybe I should, they should have carpeted my walls. <laughs> yes, I need to put a work order in. That's what you do, right? Got to put in a work. Order. Well, what you do at a university is you need something, so you put a work order in, and then and then basically nothing happens. I think that's that's the way it works at a university. It, it's true. It's, I think it happens in lots of places. I remember um, a while ago, and I'll, I'll let me see if I can figure out what episode this was. But when you and I, you were away, and I did a podcast with um, Manan Sharma, our good friend Manan. And uh, in the middle of the podcast recording, uh, someone came in and, and started working on a work order that he had filled uh, eight months ago, like at the exact time that we were recording. It was like replacing a freezer or something. That's like that's like fixing the flooring in your office uh, and not, <sighs> not telling you that they had to move all the stuff out because, you know, it's not like you need to go in your office and do anything like podcast or anything. Right, right. Well, and I uh, let me let me back up a little bit. It's not that they didn't tell me; it's that I didn't remember. Oh well, see, that's different. See, at my university, like you might just come in one day, and like your floor <laughs> will be waxed, or things will be moved out of your office, because I think the system, the system that the professors used to communicate, and the system that the 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 physical plant staff used to communicate, they don't connect. Oh well, that's. That's awful, awful interesting. Yeah, well, it's it's awful something. Oh, um, yeah. So, so I have so I have some furniture now. It would have been very difficult. Actually, it probably would have been maybe the same had I uh, recorded a podcast yesterday on the on the floor um, in my office. Although it would have been, um, you know, we would have had some guests with those the folks that were moving things back into my office. So, I mean, unexpected guests. That would have been disruptive, I think. It would have been disruptive. And I, so I came in today uh, and uh, 
everything in, I, I I work in a suite or a pod as it's known. Actually, I just no one calls it a pod. I just called it a pod. Um, but it's a group of offices with an open area in the middle. Um, and uh, I'm the only one here. I think everyone else is still uh, thinking that their that their offices are upturned, up uh, turned upside down. Well, you know, I came into the office today, and I, I, I had to. We we discussed via text message, you know, our various uh, fueling requirements for the podcast. What I did not share with you is that I got my usual breakfast sandwich and coffee from Starbucks. But what I did not share is that I stopped at another Starbucks for another coffee because I felt like I needed to. I owe it to the <laughs> listeners, Ben, to have to have a second cup of coffee when we're podcasting. Um, and I got to work, and I'm like, well, it's fifteen. 15 minutes until uh, the episode is scheduled to start recording, and I could I could walk, park far away and walk like I usually do, or I, I kind of, again, I owe it to the listeners to, to be there on time and uh, not, ex- not like out of breath from, from the walk, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, yeah. so I pulled into the parking lot where I never, ever park. Um, and there was nobody here. Like it's a ghost town, but I think it's, and I, and I'm pretty sure it's always like that. It's just that I, the parking lot where I usually park is always a ghost town. Right. Um, right. So, uh, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's pretty quiet here uh, in food science. It's, it's like, uh, it's like uh, Doug always tells me show up when you're not, uh, expected to. Exactly. Doug. Right. So it's, keep, it's like keep a on surprise. their toes. Keep them on yeah, their toes. Yeah. Be like, well, wait a second. He's here. He must be, he must be here all the time. He must be doing stuff all the time. Um, so I, we, we haven't talked in a while. Like, well, I mean, you and I have spoken, but we haven't done one of these things. One of these, these here podcasts in like three weeks. We, well, we've been busy, Ben. You had hockey to do and I had, um, something that I don't remember some, some, something related to work, I think. But yeah, so we've been busy. We've been we busy. have been busy and there's stuff that's gone on and, there, uh, wait, is there stuff going, is there, are there foodborne disease outbreaks, Ben? Have, oh, has, oh, has, there has, are. <laughs> you know, I never, there are some podcasts that I think they worry that there's nothing to talk about. There is always something to talk about in the world of food safety, Ben. There is. It's it's kind of crazy, right? Like how um, how much there is out there, like all the time. And I don't know if you have this. Uh, I'm going to delve into my psyche a little bit. Um, do you have this situation where you worry if you if you step away for a couple of days, you worry that you've missed everything and you can never catch up on? And I mean, by everything, everything that's going on in the world of of food safety. I, I am pretty sure, Ben, that I will never catch up full stop. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, right, right. And, and so it's, and I've just given up. I, like a couple of years ago, I just, I just gave up kind of like, kind of like how you do email, right? After it oh. scrolls off the first two screens, it's just like, it's like, it's not even there for you. So yeah, no, I'm, I don't worry about that because uh, I figure I'll just, I'll just catch it on the next time around. You know, like if I, for example, let's say. Um, I missed the the paper saying that there were pathogens in flour, or I missed a foodborne disease outbreak for you know associated with flour. I figure I'll just wait around, and then boom, it'll come again. <laughs> it'll you know? come, again. It'll come yeah. again, and and guess what, Ben? It oh, did. It did. It did. And it's let's. I want. I want to get to. I don't want to get there yet. Okay. I wanna, oh, sorry. I, we want to build anticipation. It's a teaser. It's a teaser. I, I've tweeted about it this morning. You like my uh, my tweet of uh, today's flower power? Yes. Um, not not in the hippie sense, but in the in, in the dried substance that you used in you use in baking. Uh, or, I think that's the hippie sense, Ben. Oh, 
Damn, you're right. I just that was, that's what they call a double entendre. I, yes, it's French. Double, it's double French Dan Lentendre. Yeah, double Dan Lentendre. It's it's French for uh, a Tim Hortons double double. Um, that's what you order in Quebec. Mm. Can I have a double entendre? And they say, "Oui, uh, oui, oui, monsieur. Oui, oui. Uh, <laughs> uh, would you like a donut with that? That's a really bad French accent. I'm not. I'm not so good at it. Um, accents aren't, aren't really my thing. Really? Um, no, not really. Are you? Do you? So, are you in the camp of you think you're good at accents and you're not, or you are good at accents? <laughs> I'm I'm pretty good at accents, but I don't like to talk about it, Ben. Oh, okay. Well, it's, a, it's kind it's of uh, you know keep it on the down low. A little, little personal. Okay, good. Well, I, I, I do a mean Indonesian accent, <laughs> but it's for, for a very select audience. You know, not everybody's going to get it. Um, my, uh, you and I, we have a friend, um, uh, Jeff Lejeune. Are you, you your friend? You know him? You know about him? Jeff Lejeune. Lejeune. He's another one of those goddamn Canadian microbiologists <laughs> and set up residents in this country. Yeah, yeah we're taking over, taking over Jesus one uh, one land grant, <laughs> one land grant at a time. At a time. Yeah. Uh, so. So our friend uh, Jeff Lejeune emailed me yesterday morning with a, a message of something for your dossier. And it's uh, a, an article that he and I are both quoted in from uh, Indonesia on Siga uh, contaminisi bacteria E. coli para, para, para uh, macaron dengan karini. Sure. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a reprint of... Uh, uh, some an article that we were interviewed for for Women's Health like two years ago that that has just made it to Indonesia. Well, that's good. It's good that they, that the women are getting help with their health in Indonesia. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. We're um, we're we're there. We're big big in Indonesia. <laughs> Indonesia, we love you. I, we're, I feel like I just turned into Trump. <laughs> I just I just Trump. We're gonna build it. We're gonna build a wall, and the Indonesians are gonna pay for it. They're gonna. Everyone's gonna pay for it. Who's who's gonna pay for it? Indonesia. Hey, so now this this uh, Jeff Lejeune character is this the same as uh, Jeffrey T. Lejeune, DVM, PhD, Diplomate ACVM, Diplomate ACVPM? Yeah, yeah, that's professor him. head of program head of FAHRP Extension Veterinary Food Safety. Yeah, he's yeah. got all he's the got, all he's got, the letters. He's got all the, He's got a really long, uh, long string of titles there on his uh, his web page. He is he has all every letter that you need um, in before, in, and after your name. And you know he works at the Ohio State University. See, I think that there's a there's kind of a is uh, an incentive if you work at the Ohio State University to just put more words into everything, even when they it doesn't need them. Right, because it's the Ohio State University. It's the Ohio State University. I used to Is say it? I used to say Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, just <laughs> to mess with the Ohio State people, because that is technically our name. But but then once we got a see, this doesn't make any sense because we they have a good football team. We're trying to have a good football team. When we tried to have a good football team, we just wanted to be Rutgers, right? Know? Right, because it's just like when you're drunk. It's just you <laughs> don't want to be saying Rutgers of the State University of New Jersey because I mean that just you know that's just this doesn't roll off the tongue. But it's that, true. see that does, but that that uh, that's that doesn't make any sense because Ohio State they have a great football team and yet they want to be the Ohio State University. Yes, we we are I think the University of North Carolina at NC State University at Raleigh, <laughs> like something. Something ridiculous. Wow. Like that. Let me see. Uh, uh, former names. North Carolina College of Agriculture and Mechanic Arts. 
We were North Carolina State College for a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like something. It's something weird like that. Um, it's but anybody you know, people here we just refer to it as. In fact, in the city of Raleigh, it's just referred to as state. I work at state. Whoa, that's my that's my microphone banging, banging do, around. Do you know? Do you know how our bookkeeper refers to you guys? Uh, those who are not good at uh, asking questions. No. Uh, well, re- with respect to the NoroCore project, our bookkeeper calls you four three four two nine eight. Oh. And I, I always say well, you, ha- you can't use, you can't use numbers with me. You have to use words. And she's like, "Oh, North Carolina State." It's like, "Thank you." <laughs> because I mean, everything is numbers, right? And it's like I I don't I don't think of my grants in terms of numbers. I think of my grants in terms of names. But anyway, yeah. just and call well, it. speaking of grants. We're going to oh. get this grant, right? We, I think so. I don't know. I, I do want to talk about this, Don. Okay. This is, this is um, again, it's, it's a very reflective day for me today. Uh-huh. Um, because you're reflecting off your freshly polished floors. I'm reflecting, I'm reflecting off my, yeah, and I have a big, a big screen, uh, a Thunderbolt 27-inch screen in front of me that is also reflecting as I move my hands. Oh, speaking of, speaking of screens and speaking of not staying focused, um, apparently uh, I'm, I'm very excited for WWDC on Monday where Apple's going to talk about a whole lot of new stuff, including maybe a, a big uh, retina screen. I can't wait for a big retina screen that might be USB-C compliant or whatever, you know, so I can use my non-Thunderbolt uh, MacBook with it because I can't do that with my current screen. W- yeah, and uh, hey, I want you know what I want them to give us since I'm, we're not focused at all today? Uh-huh. I want a MacBook Air that's a, that has a retina screen. I want that. I want an 11-inch MacBook Air, and I don't think it's going to happen. I, don't, I, think, I this, think you're right. I think the the current MacBook Air that I'm currently talking to you through my internet machine here um, might be the last one that I ever get. And I love this. I love this machine so much. I've never loved a machine quite like this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, we'll we'll leave it at that. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, what Apple comes up with. I am very excited because I think I am ready. So I have a so just the way that you feel about your MacBook um, or your MacBook Air, I, I can't I can't keep all your computers straight. Um, uh, the the computer that the one and only computer um, that that I have is a 15 inch uh, Retina MacBook Pro, which I absolutely love, and that is going to get revved. I mean, that's that's they, yeah. Apple should be coming out with a new 15 inch Retina. Uh, MacBook Pro, and I'm going to get it. I think pretty much um, because I needed this. Is this one's getting you know getting old, and it's working great. But but I, I need I need I'm ready for a new one, and uh, I deserve it, Ben. I deserve it. I work hard for a living. I need a new computer. I'm going to get one. Isn't it nice when you get a nice little toy? It is a new toy. It is. It's one of the and few... it's funny how our yeah. Well, it's funny how our toys are like a new computer. Like it's it's very it's very gratifying it's like oh my gosh how did i work with something that was so slow and didn't look as good and didn't feel as good as this i i'm slowly warming up to my macbook um and it's really about the size like i just love how thin and small it is it's just not powerful enough right and it doesn't have enough size like it it doesn't have enough space yeah so so what i what i need i I don't know they're not going to give me what i want which is just a really tiny computer that has a lot of memory storage and a retina screen and, and that works with everything that I needed to do. That's what I want. That's what I want, Don. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So let me, let me reflect. Let me, ref- this is, uh, I, I was, uh, as I was driving here to my office this morning, I was thinking about this exact conversation I wanted to have with you. 
And I wasn't sure. I was like, is this an after dark? And I don't think so. It's for, it's for reals. Um, so you and I, um, did, we, we talk to people. <laughs> I'm going to start there. We talk to people through the internet and, and we don't always know who's listening. And, and in fact, I, and this is, this is totally true. We say this on lots of occasions. I don't, I don't do this because, um, because someone might be listening. I do it because I think it's, it's fun and I like talking to you and, and if someone listens, that's, that's great. But we hear from people and it's increasing. I don't know if you found the, the same, uh, the same thing. Um, but more people seem to know about the podcast and, um, stumble upon things that, that I produce. Um, and we produce either here or on barf blog or papers and so there's a level of recognition, I guess, that that we're we're achieving um, that that seems to be seems to be growing. And it, I don't know if that's a good. I, I feel like I'm I'm turning into like uh, Pearl Jam and, and Nirvana in the in the '90s. I don't know if that's a good thing for me because I think I start believing sometimes, even though I try to not believe it, that. Um, that people know who we are and that, that we can, that I can coast on that. So here's where that all comes crashing down. What we do in our like daily thing of food safety and research and extension takes time and to do it. And and I don't recognize that sometimes because like doing a podcast, you know, this, this is, it comes easy um, giving a talk is easy. Like it, it gets easy, right? Like you do, you, you kind of construct the stories and, and you, you put the time in up front to think about it, but it doesn't take the same amount of time to do uh, as it, uh, as writing a paper or mentoring a graduate student um, in a, in an effective way or um, writing a grant and, and that stuff. So in a sense, the days like, or the last week or so where I've been trying to pull together this, um, this grant, um, you know, multi-state grant for NIFA that's about FISMA compliance that, that you're, you're part of and Michelle Danilux is part of. And I went out and sold an idea of a few objectives to a bunch of people saying, hey, I would like to build this thing. I guess what I'm fairly good at is thinking about objectives. What I'm not good at is being able to write clearly how we get to those objectives. That's a skill that takes time. And I haven't done it like in a big sense for a while, you know, like I guess I've been really like lucky in getting added to projects where it's like, Hey, can you give me a paragraph on what you're going to do? But to pull it all together was not, it was difficult. And I don't think, um, it's in, I don't, I don't know. And maybe someone who listens to the podcast is on the panel and hopefully this doesn't, uh, turn into some sort of conflict, but I don't, as I look back at what I, what I wrote and what I pulled together, um, I don't think I hit the mark. I think I, I know what I want us to be able to do. I don't think I presented it very well. I came up with some nice pictures. Maybe that'll, that'll move things forward. But it was very like, at the end of it, I was like, you know what I, what I need. And this is like the answer to everything in our world is I, I needed more time. And what I really was really saying to myself is I needed to, dedicate more time to, to do it. Like, and not, and not coast on the things that are easy. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is kind of, it's not, it's, it, it's hard and it takes work and it's not until you're in it too far that you realize, Oh, you know what? I probably needed to work on this more. 
<laughs> yes, no, I know, I know exactly what you're saying, and I, uh, like you, I am good at seeing the long-term objectives, and I'm also very good. I think I'm pretty good at seeing the next step to get me there. Where where it breaks down is what's the long-term path to get there in great detail, and honestly, a lot of times. That's what you need to write for the grant. You may not end up doing that, but right. but, the, 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 but what you do in a grant is you lay it out in such a way that it convinces the person that convinces the person who's reading the grant to give you the money. And and I like you, I have been blessed recently with having great collaborators, people that take the 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 initiative to write the proposal, and I can write a paragraph or a page about what it is that I want to do, okay, um, but 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 not take the, the the full burden of doing it. And I've done it in the past, and you have to do it to be successful as an academic. And I, I've proven that I can do it. But I, I still remember um, a grant that I, I wrote quite a few years ago on Clostridium botulinum spore germination, and. I, de- I said to myself, look, it's going to take 80 hours to write this grant, right? And that doesn't mean uh, I stay awake for four days and write it, right? It means right, that right. Over, over the period of several months, I'm gonna, it's going to take 80 hours of writing. And, and that ended up being a really good target. Um, but these days, I get a sense that, that you don't always know – when the the calls are going to come out, and when the calls come out, you probably have a month from when you finally see what the agency's looking for until you have to deliver a finished proposal and that and a month is just not enough time, so you almost have to have either have inside information or you have to be working on an idea already that you know is going to fit within the constraints of what the agency wants to fund. And so, and that is, and that is a lot of work, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, also without having other inside or not inside outside impacts on, on your time, right? Like you have a month and then, but but you may have already had stuff scheduled. Well, yeah. If you're any good, <laughs> if you're any good, you're scheduled for all summer. I know my summer schedule. I'm starting to look at. If you want to have your pick of dates, you better be scheduling in late uh, late 2016 because I'm busy, right? I'm, right, I'm right. traveling. I've got work to do. Um, I've got other commitments, and you just can't drop everything. Well, you 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 know, if you're any good at if you're honoring your your commitments, you, you're you're not dropping everything. Um, uh, because you, you have to honor those commitments. So it is, it is definitely, uh, a problem. It's yeah. And it's, it's tough. And so uh, anyway, it was in a sense, there are good things that come out of that, right? Like it, it reminded me, and I was, um, I was also responding to, uh, at the same time reviews, uh, to a paper that I've been sitting on for a long time. That was overdue that the journal, um, uh, editor was like, Hey, look, we need, we need this like back or we're just going to like reject it. So there was like an extra. So those two things at the same time made me realize, and and it's today, right? Like I'm going to forget about this at about one o'clock this afternoon when I find something else to to think about or focus on. But right now, like, you know what, this um, making time to do these things that is important and it's hard for, that's hard for me. And it's one like, it's a skill that I have to continuously try to work on because I, I, it's not realistic to produce something that is 
useful or coherent or good at the last minute. And and what's what's like and th- this is the the trap I guess that has led me down this path. I mean, probably other people. I mean, lots of people that are successful have figured this out, but. Doing doing a podcast at the last minute or giving a talk at the last minute, I, I'm I can do that, right? Like so so I, I in my focus of um everything goes into this like ball of what is it that I'm going to make and focus on? Well, I can leave certain things, I can read what's going on today, and I have coherent thoughts in my mind that you and I are gonna have a conversation that seventy percent of it'll make sense to you and I and fifty percent will make sense to somebody else out there. Um but but it's it's not it's not a horrible output for little upfront work where where, where it was, you know, it, it just reminds me when I have to do something that's large and that becomes this like mental block of like, I know that I need to put in 14 hours or whatever, 50 hours to do this. And I'm not prepared to do that. Or I don't feel like I have enough time to do it or whatever. What I don't even know, um, you know, where, where to, where to go other than there is an emotional response that was like, you know what? I probably need to work at things more. And that would, that's a, like, that's a good thing as opposed to, Hey, look, I just coasted through writing a proposal today and maybe it's okay. So I don't really have to spend time on it next time. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I was dealing with something similar yesterday because, well, and, and I thought I was going to have two hours of my afternoon blocked, um, well, I had two hours of my afternoon right. blocked to do a podcast with you like, and then, and then we had to reschedule that. And, and, and I was like, the problem was I had another call at four o'clock where I had to do some work before that call, and it was like what I wanted to do was anything but do that work. Such so so much so that I was actually willing to work on a manuscript that had been sitting on my desk for a while, and it was like, oh my god, I all I want to do is to do this manuscript work instead of this consulting work because why well i don't know because i have this deadline coming up for the consulting work brains are so weird ben and and we've we've talked in the past about this great uh website by this academic uh, named john perry who has a website called structured procrastination unfortunately that website he must have procrastinated paying his bills for the website because (laughs) because uh, the website is down um but but we will we will link to it and 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 again highly highly recommended uh it's a great it's a great website on how you can you can do any basically the idea is you can do almost anything as long as it's not the thing that you're supposed to be doing and so and there so there are little tricks like that that we can use to get ourselves to to do stuff but so the bottom line is i had uh i got some work done on the paper and then we had to reschedule a podcast so i actually got some work done on the consulting project too so it ended up being uh, uh it ended up being a, a productive day yesterday but uh but not not in the way that i expected it's uh yeah i don't know i don't know how to like i don't know how to do better at it yet <laughs> right well, like it's like it's like it's like what we do with writing buddies. You just you just do it. The thing is, you just do it again and yeah. again and again, and eventually you'll figure out a way to get better at it. Yeah, yeah. And and the more I guess that's that's the thing is you forget about it over time because you can. I mean, you can coast through a week by managing what what's on you know what, what's immediate in your desk, like answering questions or working with a, a student. Um, but but by the end of that week you may not have tackled any of those long-term projects that you really needed to dedicate time to. I wonder, I wonder if 
if it would be, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about the writing buddies group that, that Michelle and, uh, you and I and Linda do where every couple of weeks we get together for, I mean, 10 minutes on the phone and schedule, uh, not, um, uh, predict how much writing for manuscripts that we're going to do in those next two weeks and, and, and then try to stick to it and we track it. And, and it's really helped in, in, you know, for, I think for all of us, uh, for me, absolutely. And I wonder if something like that is necessary in the grants writing uh, area. Like, like you said, you had for, for your, your example from a few years ago, it's like you knew that you, you had 80 hours or you, or you predicted that you were going to need to spend 80 hours. So you had to structure that into your plans and try to stick to it. One of the greatest things about our, our little collective is just by checking in, it keeps us a little bit more honest, I guess. Right. And, and I, you know, the thing that I always harp on with that group, and I think it makes a lot of sense is like, don't, don't say that you're going to write for 10 hours because you feel like you need to write for 10 hours. Honestly, look at your schedule and figure out whether you can write for 10 hours or whether you can write for two hours or whether, honestly, over the next two weeks, you are just so busy that you don't have time to write, in which case your target should be zero hours, right? And and that's okay, but it can't be zero hours every week, and, and it can't be 10 hours every week if you're never going to hit it because that, that's going to that's gonna mean that you're, you're never going to be able to get the things done that you want to do. So it's about creating realistic expectations both in your mind for the things that you want to get done as well as the minds of people that you are writing stuff for. Right. And and having some um, forethought and looking, being able to, to look in, in small chunks. I mean, that's the one thing that we do with, with writing buddies. It's not like over a, a month-long period, right, which is a hard – time frame to handle because there's always at the start of that month, well, I will do this near the end of the month. In a two-week chunk, you have to be real, very realistic about, okay, what have I already dedicated to in these next two weeks and where can I fit other little chunks of time to, to meet whatever goal that, that I have? I, so that's, you know, maybe that's a, that's, that, well, that's a strategy, right? And, like, and just because I have nothing on my calendar tomorrow – it does not mean that I'm going to write manuscripts for eight hours right. because I can't – I physically can't do it, right? My mind turns to mush and I need to take a break. I need to leave time for lunch. I probably maybe – I mean I can, maybe I can do two hours of good solid writing or two hours of editing a student's writing and then maybe I can spend an hour fiddling with the figures and an hour – you know, tidying up the references, which is four hours of manuscript work, but that's not four hours of, of creating prose, right? That right, I right. generate originally. It just, it just, so the, and all of those things need to happen to move the manuscript forward or to move the grant forward or whatever, but, but it's not, it, it doesn't all take the same amount of mental horsepower and you really don't have eight hours of time to do the hard stuff, right? So, and so part of that, you know, successful working is is realizing what you're actually capable of and and then and then and then don't beat yourself up for not i mean you know you can maybe beat yourself up a little bit if you said you were going to write for two hours and instead you got up and played video games or went on facebook right but but those are the kind of things that you should save for later in the day when your brain is mush and and spend the the good productive time doing the stuff that can only be done when you're when you're sharp right right and and you can um, you can correct that in a short amount of time over a two week period, right? Like, oh, day four, I you know I, I'm I'm only at 
you know, 8% of my goal for the next two weeks. And I just wasted a couple hours, but I still have, you know, um, you know, eight more days to, to fix this. Right. Like I, I can, I I can do it. Not, not over a month long period or over the next six months, I'm going to publish five manuscripts, you know, and those are the types of things that, that I think I get caught up in, um, uh, you know, as well and not being able to, I don't know, uh, realistically plan, for for the stuff that you can't plan for, like the unknown of <laughs> of oh hey, there's going to be a big um, outbreak of E. coli O one twenty one linked to flower, and and six people are going to want to call to talk about you know to do media interviews with you. And by it, the way, there's no furniture in your office, and there's no furniture. Yeah, exactly. And and, and you know we um, and oh, and you and your kids got to go to Canada to play hockey. <laughs> Yeah, and then right? and we ha- yeah, and we forgot that one of our kids needs an American passport that expired, so we had to spend an extra day on the way. Like all that weird, like all the other outside stuff that you you just know that you're gonna that it's gonna eat up time. I I get I've gotten back into with with the um, I guess really with the pre- the pressure of a very hard deadline on this grant proposal, um, getting up really early in the morning. Uh, and, and trying to get my maybe not producing much in between like five thirty and say seven thirty in the morning, but getting all my reading done and getting the Facebook and Twitter out of my system for a few hours, so I'm not doing that later on in the day, and then maybe getting some writing done for for forty five minutes or thirty or thirty minutes or, or something. And so that's that's helped, but then that like impacts my later in the day uh, stamina. So I don't know. It's this uh, – a lot of days I feel like what what I do, which is a little bit different from what you do but is in the same realm of what you do, it's kind of easy. And then some days, like maybe 25 days a year, it's like, oh, man, I really suck at this sometimes. And those those days where I have that reflection, that's – that's a good thing, right? Like that's I, – I, I feel like that, that is a motivation to be like, you know what? I need to change something if I, if I do want to advance um, what, what I'm doing and what I'm able to produce and where I – you know, where my group fits into the world of food safety, um, we, I, I, have to, I have to continuously think about getting better. And, and getting um, – one of the other things that, that we've talked about, not for – quite some time, um, but is in the role of, that we have in, in mentoring students, uh, undergraduates and graduates and, um, and others. And that takes time to do that right. But there's such a massive payoff in the production aspect of things. And it's not a hundred percent of the time, but, but the chance for it makes that investment worthwhile. Um, uh, you know, obviously not just worthwhile. I don't like, I don't mean, Oh, it would suck if we didn't get something out of it. I mean, that's what we're here to do is create, um, you know, teach people and create people that can advance food safety. Um, but it's, uh, it, it, that also takes time to, to do that, um, well. And, and right now I've got, um, I think I have like nine people here this summer, um, between graduate students and undergrads, which is a lot for me. And so I've been, I have to like really make sure that I schedule time to, um, to help them help them move things along because they'll ultimately help me in the end. 
So right, and that was <clears throat> that was my situation probably a year or two years ago when my lab was really bursting at the seams, and I've graduated a couple of students, and uh, I haven't taken on any new students because I don't have I don't have funding, and actually things are going to be really quiet around here this summer, which is okay because I'm still working. I've got a PhD student who just graduated um, last year. Okay. And finally, we got the last paper from his master's submitted, okay? So that's how far behind I am on right, manuscripts. Right. Yeah. Which, and so I'm actually looking forward to having fewer students because I still have this big bunch of stuff in the pipeline that obviously through you know my being busy and, 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 and all the de- interdependencies of other people, I'll put it a little bit on other people, but mostly it's on me um, and mostly on the graduate student who still doesn't know how to do references um, and doesn't know how to prove his own work. Um, <clears throat> but but – uh, you know, but but the work's getting done, right? And, and that's okay. And 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 I, at one point, I was. This was a, quite a few years ago when I told my department chair that I wasn't planning on writing any grants um, uh, for the next year because I had to, all the work from the previous grants. And he looked at me, and he's he's since gone, left the university, and gone to another university, and then another university. Um, but. Um, but he looked at me like, how can you, you know, you know, you have to always be writing grants. It's like, no, I don't. I don't. Yeah. No, I don't. Cause that's crazy. Right? Right, right. That's, that's how you have situations like you have with where you, you've left the university and five <laughs> years later, your PhD students not finished yet. Right. Right. right? right. Because, because, you're because, constantly, because you're, yeah. you're constantly like finding things to do that, that are keeping her from graduating. And that's not, that's not fair to the students. So yeah, I mean, there's there's something to be said for working hard, but there's something to be said for for like not, you know. And there's been a, actually, I don't know if you've been reading. There's been a number of articles bubbling around the internet about how many hours people work in different countries and how how their various you know they're productive or what the happiness level is in those countries. And and it's you know we work a lot in the United States and we're not terribly happy, <laughs> which right, right. which I think is probably that's probably not good, right? Uh, I mean we should you should be happy and you should be productive and yeah you should work hard, but uh, but at the end of the day you should feel like you're like feel good about the work that you're doing. Right. And not get caught up in trying to do more. Right. And, yeah, because and, more might not be what you need. Right. It right. might be and, what you need, but it might not be what you need. And, and it was so, uh, you know, coming back to the grant that, that it submitted yesterday, um, that the idea is one that I'm really like it wasn't it, it wasn't one where it was, um, oh, here's a grant opportunity. Let me think of an idea. It was an idea of like, I really want to do this. I'm going to wait for something that might be the right thing. And, and, and so I, and I've been in that other situation where, oh, there's a call. Everyone's applying for one. Um, don't, don't get left out. Put some, trying to put something together and, and not be really passionate about the, the idea. I guess I'm, I'm getting better at picking and choosing. Am I, am I really excited to do something or to come up with something? Like, is this something that I really want to make? And that's much better focus than it was for me five years ago. Um, it's just getting to that next step of saying, okay, now I need to be able to, uh, to really try to predict how long things are going to take, um, to do it, to do it right. And, and, and it's, I, I don't know. There's like, it, uh, I, I guess, there's there are lots of like emo songs 
um, about how, you know, emotion is good and stuff. <laughs> and, and this is like, even if it's like, oh man, I kind of suck today. Um, the emotional part of things makes me like, reminds me that, oh, you know what? I kind of do care about this stuff, whatever that is, like whether it's food safety or career or mentoring or, or whatever, making a good podcast. It reminds me that I, I, you know, I need to, I, I, do, I care. I like, I like what I do. I like what the outputs are. I feel like we make a difference sometimes. And so when I'm, when I'm on, when I have dedication, I can make something that's good that, that matters. And that, that's, that's the, like, that was the end of the reflection, right? Like that was, it, it just, it was a good reminder of not getting caught up in doing stuff. Um, but being able to say, okay, I need to, I need to spend time to, to make something right. Well, and to your point about you know whether you write a grant uh, because that's what everybody's doing, or you you wait to find a, a grant opportunity that fits with your idea. That's the only way I ever work now because I just I don't have I don't have the interest in chasing money that is not something I want to do. Right? I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do I'm I'm going to do the work that I think needs to be done, and I'll find a way to get that work done. Right? Whether whether it's 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 pulling bits and pieces from other projects or leftover bits and pieces of money or whether it's going after opportunities to do that work. But I am, I'm not going to chase money just for the sake of chasing money. I'm going to, to look for money to support the work that I think needs to be done because, because that's the only I, – I just don't have the energy anymore to do stuff that I'm not 100 percent committed to. You know? Well, yeah, and I mean going back to the conversation with your former department chair, um, that – it doesn't make sense, right? Like that, that's the answer is, well, why aren't you looking for a grant every year? It's like, because I don't, the work that needs to be done, it doesn't need to be done yet or with this funding opportunity, or I'm not going to try and fit something because the chances of being successful without having, and this is maybe my optimism, the chances of being successful in, in getting some of these larger grants without putting in the right amount of work with the passion behind the idea are probably pretty pretty slim. Maybe not. Maybe the cynical side would be no. You just have to have some nice pictures and a good objective list. So, and if that's the case, then maybe we'll be successful. Right. And it's it's a difference. <laughs> it's a difference between well, I'm just going to write a dozen proposals and throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks versus I'm going to write two proposals. I'm going to spend the same amount of time writing two proposals that are really good and really focused and have a, a higher chance of success. Now, maybe you're right. Maybe the overall probability is greater if you write 12 proposals and they're all a little bit crappy or they're like various levels of crappy versus writing two that are really like, you know, hundred percent on target, but I, yeah, that, that, that former approach does not, does not resonate with me. Well, and it probably leads to a lot of unhappiness, right? Like well, it, when it you're sure writing, it leads to a lot of bad writing. Yeah, it definitely leads to bad writing, but also like sitting there and saying, okay, well, I know I'm going to try and put together 12 proposals this year, which I really only don't care about eight of them, but I need to, to put something out there. I would see myself wanting to not um, do anything other than play video games while I was writing those because I couldn't get excited about the ideas. Right. It's about the ideas, Don. Yep. It's about the um, ideas, Ben. Speaking about the ideas here, and this, this is, I do want to segue into some food safety stuff. Um, and, and you, you haven't mentioned it today there, you know, we have some catchphrases, right? That's what, that's what they're called in the business. There's, it's complicated. It depends. And one that I use all the time from you that I don't even know if you know that it's a catchphrase, but if it's not published, it didn't happen. 
I, I may be paraphrasing you. I, I think I've, I think I might have uh, heard that before. Yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot. And um, so, so here's the segue into new exciting ideas that that you can get um, that I that I can get behind, and I really like, and and where what gets me like passionate, and having uh, really cool students that are interested in this. Um, but with that mindset of okay, we can do this. But what's the framework that we're going to publish this on? How are we going to share this with people that it mattered? And I texted you um, a uh, Twitter uh, handle called sassy underscore stack earlier today. And this is a small little project. And I say little, it's like not, maybe not little, but it's a, it's a project that um, an undergrad student of mine, Mary Avalek, has been doing. Uh, doing over the last week or so. And it came out of um, a group of um, papers that one of my students uh, or student that I co-advised with um, uh, with Leanne Jacobs, uh, Katie Overby, who just uh, finished her master's. She looked at norovirus conversations online. And um, as part of her thesis, did a sort of systematic review of social media and uh, papers on social media on effectiveness and um, around food safety and infectious disease. And the, one of the big things that, that came out of it, both her experimental work and this lit review, is that what seems to matter to people when it comes to engagements online is that they feel that they're part of a conversation and that there's something funny. There's something humorous. And this is like very specifically related to Twitter. So Mary took that idea and for Memorial Day weekend started this parody account called Sassy Steck, which is, you know, stands for Shigatoxin uh, Producing E. coli. Um, and if you click on the, uh, and it's the Twitter handle for listeners is at Sassy underscore Steck. Um, if you go to the, uh, the page, uh, it says, uh, hi, I'm shigatoxin producing E. coli, but my friends just call me Steck. I'm the microbe that at cdc.gov warned you about. Um, and she, let me, let me give you some metrics on what she's found over the last, um, couple of, couple of days on this. But she, the, the idea is she, she is using, um, the, a filtered pipe of Twitter and searching for, uh, People who are mentioning grilling, mentioning burgers, mentioning um, making food for for Memorial Day, putting on a barbecue, whatever, backyard stuff. And she is like in a creepy kind of way, but also with some humor, really trying to get at those individuals with messages around cross-contamination and temperature control. And not not like – so it's, it's a different approach from I guess what – I think it's different from from what many people are doing when it comes to like, hey, we need better public education because we're trying to make it as very personal um, uh, and, and really try to um, connect with people uh, out there. So she, you know, for instance, um, someone, uh, you know, someone writes, uh, you know, another successful evening of me not cooking. Um, and uh, what's your favorite thing to throw on the grill? Someone answers. And then uh, something about um, uh, kebabs and burgers mostly, but hubby does the grilling, so I get to chill. And then Sassy Steck jumps in and goes, hope hubby ha- had a meat thermometer. You want to make sure the burgers were 160 degrees. You want the kids to meet me. And so, like, really trying to get um, 
you know, get into that conversation. And then people come back and respond. And so the response to Sassy Sec was, oh, let's hope no one meets you ever. Um, so we're, it's a, it's, I guess a different, so it's, it's, this is one of those ideas, like going back to, um, grants that get funded that you couldn't have predicted that you're going to do this. This is part of our Shigatoxin E. coli producing, um, Shigatoxin in E. coli beef grant. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we wanted to do something with social media and now we're, we're doing it. And so what Mary found was, um, so this, this debut, and I'm just going to read you, she just sent me an email with, with this. And, and again, this is the part that made me think of, this doesn't matter unless we publish this. Um, since Sassy Steck's uh, Twitter debut on May 19th, the profile has made four, or 40,000 Twitter impressions. Um, the account currently has 44 followers and 400, oh, sorry, 4,009 total profile visits. Um, specifically during Memorial Day weekend, when engaging people about grilling, Sassy Steck tweeted 775 times at approximately 700 different, different people. Those re- tweets received over 3,000 engagements, in- including 56 retweets, 126 replies, uh, 178 likes, 901 user profile clicks, um, and 1,900 detail expansions, meaning that they looked more the, uh, at the conversation. So, like, this has not... This has not cost us, I mean, literally almost anything. It, it's it's like less than $100. And we've been able to get out there from an output standpoint. What we don't know, and this is where what we have to, to figure out is, okay, so people are engaging. Are they really going to not, you know, are they going to use these messages? Are they actually going to do something with it? Um, so I, anyway, that's like, th- these are the kinds of things that I'm like, that... This is really cool, and I like that we've maybe scratched the surface here of something that's new that that's built on what we found in these other two little experiments and um, in the literature. But but how do we how do we capture this so we can share it with others that says you know what CDC maybe this is what what we should all be doing when it comes to norovirus season or whatever. So right yeah so a cu- couple couple of reactions so number 1 the thing that i often look at as a success metric in twitter is followers and this account only has 44 followers so on the one hand that's not a lot of followers on the other hand all of the other metrics you were talking about sound like you have tremendous engagement right mm-hmm. and so yeah the question is like well so one question is are those are those how, how do you access those metrics? In other words, are you using specific software to do that? Or, or is this available to anybody who has a, a Twitter account? And second, I'm, or third maybe, I'm not sure that you will ever be able to figure out what the true impact was. In other words, did you pre- prevent foodborne disease, et cetera? But the fact that you seem to have a tremendous amount of engagement um, is is really important. And I think figuring out like what activities actually lead to engagement, like what specific behaviors of the Twitter account lead to engagement or lead to positive engagement or lead to people following or lead to people retweeting, right? That's what becomes, that's what becomes important. And that maybe that's the, that's the, the take home message from all of this. I, yeah, I, th- I think so. And I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I think that, um, that ultimate goal of, which is what everyone's looking for, right? Is like, okay, so we're going to put something out on social media. How do we know that it works? Well, it really depends on what you mean by does it work? Mm. Does it mean that someone got like, got, got back to you? Like you, they recognize that they, that you were 
tweeting at them and then they responded to you? Um, is it that in the, this one that really that's kind of blown me away on this is the 4,000 total profile visits that, so that means, I mean, so we've, um, it, so this account has tweeted at like, just on looking at those, those numbers, 700 people, right? Of those 700 people, we had some just 56 retweets that led to other followers of those people trying to figure out, well, who is the sassy stack, right? Like, and then that to me gives us this really cool opportunity about that little 140 character who is this person being a place where we can actually use messages. Not just about the tweets, it's about the profile. And that... I didn't even think about. I don't. I didn't think about that I, in the literature that we have out there. No, I. No one's talking about that. And and this is, um, this is a problem with the academic world versus the world of marketing and communication. Probably there's a crapload of people out there that work for companies that know exactly what we're just talking about. That doesn't help us because we. You know, as we're trying to do food safety messaging or communication or whatever, because we don't often know, like, it's not in the literature, right? Like, I don't, I, I can't go to somewhere that's publicly available to learn this stuff. Um, so we have to try, try different things out. But that one, that like over 4,000 profile visits from, you know, 700 tweets is, is like a pretty high percentage of engagement. To like uh, um, per, pretty high percentage of like tweet to engagement ratio to me. It's just yeah. So I think there. So I guess the, there's something here. I don't think we'll ever get to the point of saying, did our Twitter handle or this engagement did it make someone go out and buy a thermometer? Did it make them use a thermometer? I don't know. Did it make them think about food safety? Well, it made them think about what is this weird thing tweeting at me enough to click on it. Maybe that has an impact. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. And I don't, it's like, it's really hard to measure that, but it's, it's exciting. It's like, this is, there's something, there's something here to, to, to go, to go on further. And I like, I, I mean, I'm just so, uh, I'm so excited about, about it. And this is like, if I think about, um, proposals again, I don't know how to even put that into a text. Like I, I don't, I, I don't have the tools in my, toolbox to write about what we just talked about in a cohesive way in a proposal format. Well, right. And maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it's not the kind of thing that you, that you write a proposal about. Maybe it's the kind of thing that you, you tag on to this other larger grant. Um, and then you just use this as, uh, as sort of preliminary data, right? Like we don't really understand what the, the best way to use Twitter is to engage with people on food safety. So let's try a bunch. Again, it's sort of the opposite of what I was advocating before where like let's just try a bunch of things and see what works, see what works to engage people. And then as we begin to do that, we'll figure out what the project is and we'll figure out what this thing – again, people talked about this before. This is not new. Like what, what is this Twitter thing and what is it good for, right? And how do we do it? Right, right. And that's oh, – yeah, Anyway, that, it, this is a this is fun. This it's fun stuff to do. Um, so so anyway, that was where that's where where I was at today. And now and, uh, and now, uh, Sassy Steck is uh, tweeting about uh, raw dough. Apparently, I, it's, what another segue? What's up with that? What is up with raw dough? Don raw dough is making people sick. Did you know that? I think I'd heard something about that on the internet. <sighs> so 
Um, there are. Uh, uh, let's see. Let me go to my. Let's go to my little little world of the internet. That's me uh, typing again. Um, so we've got uh, gosh over um, thirty eight people sick with. Uh, uh, e. coli O one two one in uh, a whole bunch of states, uh, and this is uh, it looks like epidemiologically, or it is epidemiologically linked to baking with uh, General Mills produced gold medal all purpose flour. Um, and not uh, not surprising, not surprising to me. Surprising to you? Um, surprising that it's this. Outbreak. I mean, I'm not surprised that we've had another outbreak with flour. No. I'm I'm a little bit surprised that it's gold medal, which is a kind of a big name brand. Um, I'm I'm a little surprised at the the scope of it. Mostly, I'm just I'm really interested in some of the different risk messages that the different groups have been uh, giving out around this. And, and some of the, and again, like so many outbreaks, right? It's like, I want to be inside the room. I want to hear all the rumors. I want to know like what, what, how did they find out about this? I want to know, you know, more than what anybody is really saying. Um, but I, like one of the things with this particular outbreak, which, and maybe, maybe you can shed some light on this. Um, what is up with the statement that I've seen in a couple of places now about um, kids playing with raw dough in restaurants? So apparently this is a thing that happens yeah. in some restaurants. Not any restaurant I've ever been to. Do you know what's up with that? So, yeah, I've seen this. Um, there are a couple of – I've never been to one of these places, but I've read about – uh, a couple of restaurants where it's like you go assemble your own pizza. Um, and so the, you start with the raw dough, you make it, put all your toppings on, and they throw it into the pizza oven and, and make it. And part of that playing with that raw dough is literally like playing with it like it's Play-Doh. Um, so I, I think that's probably where those those messages are. Um, the thing, like, I mean, Play-Doh itself is is like literally what means it's made of just raw flour and um you know salt and uh some water and yeah we we make play-doh at home all the time from uh oh i don't know probably gold metal brand um flour (laughs) okay so that's not right like that's not made that's not made it here I, i what i've been like most surprised about and disappointed, I guess, is around the messaging, is that it's all about don't eat raw cookie dough. That's not what CDC says that this is linked to. This is linked to um, uh, baking, eating eating foods that were baked with uh, that were baked at home. It so it's not about. So I have this like th- thought that this is much more about cross contamination than it is eating things that are raw. And, and, and I like, uh, I, I did an interview with live science who's between life hacker and live science. I think I'm, they're my favorite people that interview me. Cause they ask really good questions. Like they want to, they don't want to know like, Oh, what can the consumer do? They want to know like, okay, tell us about like all the potential theories here of, of what, what happens. And they asked me 
you know, if it, it, and this is uh, before the CDC um, message came out, but they they said, are you like if you had this recalled flour in your home, would you just like use it and not? And just bake with it because if you bake with it, you're going to reduce the risk. And I was like, you know what? I, if I if there's a food like this that is really easy to cross contaminate, that's not like something that I have wrapped up that I treat like I do raw meat, and there's a potential for a pathogen in there, I don't want it in my home because flour dust spreads all over the place, right? Like you bet you knock into the bag and then it shoots up all this potential um, pathogen containing. Flour and and but I but I then told them here are the two things we don't know, what's the concentration and what's the prevalence, how much of this you know twenty million pounds of uh, of product that was recalled is contaminated and at what levels and that that's going to change we without knowing that I just I, I just don't I wouldn't want it in my home. Right. Well, so so let me read to you some numbers from the the the, the CDC page. Okay. Um, and I'll use the percentages most of the time. 76% of people reported that they or someone in their household used flour in the week before they came ill, became right. ill. Okay, so that doesn't say anything about eating or cooking. That just right, said right. using flour. So that for sure goes to your cross-contamination hypothesis, right? Yep. Um, 41% reported eating or tasting Raw homemade dough or batter. Yep. So that's that's the that's the, the, the that's one. the straightforward yeah. message. Don't eat raw dough. But it's but it's less than half of the the people that that answer the question. Fifty five percent reported using gold metal brand flour. Okay. Yep. Well, that's I don't know. That's neither here nor there. Um, and then three ill people. So that would be um, you know a very small percent reported eating or playing with raw dough at restaurants. So so again, there's that eating dough or maybe not eating dough, but but certainly somehow cross contamination. So um and then if you I mean and then the other thing too is if you look at the epi curve, it looks like and again, it's one of these we, – we talked about this with respect to, I think, dole um, listeria. It's, it's an epi curve that's a little bit of a curve um, because on the various dates of illness onset, there's one and two people per date. Right. So it's a very flat epi curve, and it looks like maybe there was a peak um, of illness onset around the beginning of the year. Um, but then there's sort of a long tail, and we still have a whole month of May where where illnesses that may have started during this time may not yet be reported. So, you know, it looks like there was kind of a slug, maybe a slug of contamination that is now, if I use my imagination, is now wending itself out of the system. And then obviously we now have the recall, which is going to hopefully uh, get rid of some cases. But I wonder, like, what we do. So, so we do – we, and I say we, I mean my wife does a lot of baking. But what she does is when she goes to the store, she buys flour, she brings it home, and she immediately puts it into a baking canister. Absolutely. Doesn't put it the, – the, the packaging is in the trash, right, or Absolutely. in the recycling. Yep. It's gone. So now all I can say is hopefully we don't use gold metal flour, and I don't think we do. But, but honestly, I would have no way of knowing. Right, right. And, and I'm, we're, we're in a similar situation. I went to our pantry 
um, when this when this came out, and I looked at what we had, and we had a little bit of flour um, in a canister, and then we had a bag of non gold medal uh, flour uh, that was sitting down at the bottom of of our pantry, and uh, the stuff that was in the canister I tossed out because I didn't know. And, and and I here's the other thing with flour: how long you had your flour in your canister? You wash it out and clean it and sanitize it in between. I don't know. I mean, it, w- it would not surprise me if these illnesses popped up associated with flour um, in this canister type situation for a long time, right? Like, yeah, because because that flour going back to around December where we started seeing illnesses, a heavy baking time, right around the holidays, um, at least in you know in North America. Um, may have been uh, that some of that flour, the remnants of it, may still be sitting in in pantries for a year. Well, it's- yeah, and, and like, so have you have you looked at all? Again, this comes back to the, the 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 point I made before. Have you looked at all at the different risk messages? Because like, yeah, General Mills is saying one thing, CDC is saying another thing, and FDA, I think FDA is kind of saying another thing. So, like, what's What's up with that? I think this is one of those cases where um, you know let's let's go look at the General Mills message um, and Doug kind of apropoly mentioned something about blame the consumer, right? Mm. So so here's the um, here's the situation. They say here uh, consumers are reminded. This is uh, Liz Nord- Nordley, president of General Mills Baking Division, said consumers are reminded not to consume any raw products made with flour. Flour is an ingredient that comes from milling wheat, something grown outdoors that carries with it risks of bacteria which are rendered harmless by baking, frying, or boiling. Consumers are reminded to wash their hands, work surfaces, and utensils thoroughly after contact with raw dough products or flour and never to eat raw dough um, batter. Yeah, this is it's okay. It really focuses on the consumption side of things. There's this little message on washing hands and work surfaces. doesn't really get into this, this concept of... Um, cross-contamination too much or like here they're very focused on um, you know watch utensils thoroughly after contact with raw dough it doesn't say things like don't play with raw dough Mm play-doh it doesn't say things like um, and this this is one of the things that I brought up to to live science in the um, in the interview that I did was how much do I use flour as a thickening agent in sauces how much do i use it if i'm stir frying and in that stir fry it's usually very much at the end of of that uh cooking process where it's probably not hot enough um to have an instant kill i don't know i mean i just don't know what the the temperature is but i'm using it quite a bit if i'm if i'm thickening i'm using raw flour not just for baking, not just for dough, but I use it. I, I use it in my kitchen quite a bit. Well, and and so yeah, so you were reading from the flour recall page on the General Mills website, but there is also a link to a blog post. Okay, from the the president of baking at General Mills, and this is a much more detailed message, right? And that message um, offers a number of tips, uh, it, and it has it repeats the same message: flour comes from the outside, outside, and guess what? There's bacteria outside, um, which I think is kind of good to remind people of that. Um, yeah, uh, raw dough or batter should not be eaten, no matter how tempting. Uh, children should not be provided with raw dough to play with, including at restaurants. 
Um, uh, and again, bacteria are eliminated by cooking, uh, blah, 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 surfaces. Uh, utensils should be properly cleaned after contact with dough. Uh, surfaces dusted with flour to roll dough should be properly cleaned after use. Okay. So, and then now again, we're getting there. And, yeah. and, and, and they also link to the FDA website, right? Not back to the CDC, back to the outbreak, but to the FDA website. And then FDA's message is, again, um, don't eat raw cookie dough, follow package directions, wash hands, work surfaces, and utensils after contact with raw dough, keep raw foods separate, which thanks for that, I guess, um, and then follow label directions and chill pro- – so, again, it's, it's sort of like standard food safety messaging. Yeah. So, but, but none of the – but these messages are, are similar – and overlapping, but not the same, right? The so same, CDC yeah. saying one thing, the company saying another thing, and FDA saying a third thing, but with but different. And it's, so I, I'm okay with that. Like I'm I'm okay with we don't all agree on what the standard message is, and and I think that this is it, it comes down to something that you and I have talked about, I, you know, over and over is these are risk management recommendations, right? They're based on some sort of best guess of all the things that we've just talked about on concentration and prevalence and contamination level and what do we know about how people handle things. And at, you know, at the very heart of, of it is how does I, – I would hope that General Mills and, – and we know some very good people who do food safety at General Mills and I'm sure just – up to their eyeballs in, in flour and in 0121 right now. Um, it, what are they comfortable with when it comes to risk management messages? And they I th- should, in, in the best, best case scenario, should have the most complete messages. Um, and, and it's not up to, to CDC or FDA uh, to, to, to do that. So I'm, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that CDC or that FDA doesn't say much. Um, because for FDA to say something really specific, they have all these political issues that, that happen. But General Mills getting down to like don't eat raw raw batter no matter how tempting. Children should not be provided raw dough to play with unless they are carefully supervised and wash their hands afterwards. It's, I, so I missed this this blog post. That's a that's what's that's a good well, one. That's missing. But, but what? But why? Why do they have a recall? notice on their page and then a separate blog post right what that's why do that for additional information read the blog well why why not put it here why not put all of that information there and 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 yeah and that's a good message right the message is don't eat raw dough and children shouldn't and that that's that's actually a really good message right because that is a high risk audience now the other thing uh, so what do you make of the fact, or maybe it's nothing, that you know CDC that loves percentages and loves statistics, um, uh, Ill, Ill people range from age 1 to 95, median age of 18, so it's the whole age range. 78% of ill people are female, right? Now, yep. traditionally, women are the ones in the kitchens. Traditionally, women are baking, not that, not that men don't bake and not that there aren't some men that probably listen to this podcast that are very good uh, bakers looking right at you, Randy Warbo. Um, I'm, a, uh, I'm a decent baker. And, uh, I'm, uh, looking right at me, Don, Don Okay, Chapman. I'm looking right at you, Ben Chapman. 
through that the secret uh, camera that I use to follow <laughs> everything that you do. Weird. Um, weird. Uh, it's a little weird. Um, uh, so, but so does that mean? What does that mean? Seventy eight percent of ill people are are female, right? I I honestly I want to know how many. I want to see the exact age break. And again, this is there's not there's no reason why they couldn't share this, right? What's right. the exact age breakdown, right? Tell me yeah. exactly how many. I mean, it's good to know one ninety five and median eighteen, but give me the exact breakdown. Well, um, and, and if we go back to a previous doe-related uh, outbreak back uh, in 2009, uh, Nestle, let me do my uh, little Nestle CDC doe outbreak. Um, you know, what I remember from, from this is uh, the majority of uh, people, here we go, ill persons, this is uh, June 30th, 2009. Uh, ill persons, uh, this, this was 72 people link, uh, sick with 0157 uh, from 30 states linked to consumption of raw refrigerated prepackaged cookie dough, Nestle Toll House cookies. Um, the breakdown is ill persons range in age from 20 or 2 to 65 years. However, 65% are less than 19 years old and 71% are female. Right, like this specific product and the coverage that arose from this statistic was this is a type of product that teenage girls eat at sleepovers, which I don't know anything about teenage girls and sleepovers, but that that was the you know that this is a a type of food that is t- t- um, more likely to be consumed in a raw portion as a you know by a, a teenage uh, a teenage girl. Well, and and. This is a very different outbreak, right? Absolutely. If you, if you look at the uh, the epi curve for this, it goes up and down uh, peaks. Well, and this is by month, so maybe it's not it, – you get apples and oranges, right? It's a, a 363 uh, people based on the page I'm looking at right now with some months as high as 20 and other months none. And there is a, a, a cyclical oscillation here, but a very much bigger, very different outbreak, and again linked specifically to uh, raw refrigerated prepackaged dough as opposed to the actual flour itself. Exactly. So, hey, I did a little digging on this O one two one and flour, and you know we had a recall a few years ago for this that I think for was O O one two one and flour. Yeah. Huh. Let me find it. I saw this a while ago. See if I can find this. Uh, the barf blog. Um, and the other thing that uh, I wanted to highlight on this was um, we had this uh, pizza ranch outbreak with uh, I think it was a one five seven. Maybe it was maybe it was something else. You know about that one? No. Oh, we gotta we gotta talk about this pizza ranch outbreak. Um, so this is, uh, from earlier oh, this year. Wow. Yeah. 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 This year. From Doe. From Doe. Whoa. Um, it was, uh, I think it was a one five seven. Let me confirm any. Anyway. So yeah. Yeah. One five seven. Yeah. A one five seven. And it was from a dessert pizza dough that was, uh, seems like it was being undercooked or potentially. And now that we think about it, maybe cross contaminated. Maybe this is one of the ones that's being used as a something that kids are playing with. Um, and we have, oh my gosh, what the Des Moines register mm-hmm. is killing me. Yeah. Ooh. I'm reading, I'm reading this now. Yeah. How's uh, it killing you? The Des Moines register just made me click 19 things to close. <sighs> and so I've gone elsewhere. Oh. 
God. Um, yeah, so they had these dough mixes. Uh, uh, skillet, okay, as it, skillet dough mix is what it was linked to. But here we go, another, like, so this is not a, you know, dough, flour, whatever. There's, some, there's something going on. There's something going on here. Let me see if I can find this old. Yeah, the the, the previous 021, yeah. 0121 recall, yeah. But the problem is that it's, like, it's uh, namespace pollution. It's, it's, it's everything, everybody's talking about General Mills. I texted this a while ago to somebody. Oh, there you go. Found it. Nope. Never mind. When? When? What year was it? I don't know. Mm, maybe I can't find it. Anyway, there was something else that I found out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was old. Oh no! Here we go. Got it. Got it. From 2013. And it was so it was. Uh, O one two one that was linked to frozen snack products and believed to be the dough. I'll send you the. This is fascinating for other. Uh, yeah. This, well, this this is the way the podcasts get made. You know, if you don't like this, yeah. if you don't like listening to the sound of us typing and occasionally vamping while while we wait to find something, then this is not the right podcast for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, want, exactly. you want one of those highly produced, nice sounding podcasts? Go to NPR. Yeah, get out of here. We don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want you at all. So this this is a hand-rolled artisanal podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, So this is – there's an FSIS. uh, And, of course, that page doesn't exist anymore. So let's go look at that. Nope, nothing there. Anyway, I'm Um, looking at an article from LA Weekly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, this was going back to – so this farm ranch. Oh, rich products, yeah. Yeah, rich product. Farm rich, yeah. Mini pizza slices, pizza pizza, quesadilla, um, mozzarella bites, um, 0121. And then somewhere I read that it might have been dough, and I can't remember. I can't find it. So anyway, the dough, maybe, maybe other things. So – so what, what are we going to do about dough, Ben? What are you going to do about, about flour? Exactly. What, can, what can we do, Ben? You know, it's grown in the outside where there's bacteria. So I don't know, Don. I mean, like, the, you know, there's, uh, there's this big thing, uh, I guess, after the Nestle uh, outbreak where Nestle said that they're going to start requiring all of their dough suppliers to heat treat their dough to invalidate a process to um, reduce a 157. Uh, I or, or reduce the you know S tax. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, this harkens back to our previous conversation of frozen vegetables and uh, sunflower seeds that we haven't had yet on on listeria and dough. These foods are not ready to eat foods, even though we use them as not ready to eat foods. And, and the the prevalence and concentration of the pathogen may be low, but every once in a while it's going to rear its ugly head and and we're going to have an outbreak. I mean, I I don't know, I guess, and, and um, from a, I don't know what general mills um, does. I I assume that I know that they, they do a lot of stuff on um, supplier verification and, and I would hazard a guess that when it, and this is, I mean, goes back to one of the comments that we always have is I, there's so much stuff about this that we don't know that no one's talking about that makes for a good story that would make people trust the process a little more. So tell the story about how you try to keep 
uh, you know, Aztecs out of your dough. Tell us about what the milling process is and how you do um, sample and hold and, and what you require your suppliers to do and how you validate it and where this might have happened. What is the root, the root cause? And if you don't know it right now, then just tell us what you're trying to do to find it. And right. that's missing in that blog post and it's missing in the recall. The, you know, it's, it's, just not, it's just not there. It says, we haven't found it in our products or in the facility. Well, okay. And but what do we do to keep it out of there? Well, and honestly, based on the, the number of illnesses and the underreporting of illnesses, how many – could you tell me, could you calculate, could you estimate uh, the, how many samples you'd have to test to uh, uh, is it for, or let me let me rephrase that. How likely is it that you would have found it, given what you th- can estimate about the prevalence, and given what you can estimate about the, the the number of samples that you've already taken, right? And I I have to think that it might be pretty likely that you wouldn't be able to detect it because I suspect this is, the prevalence is quite low. But yeah, you know, and yeah. I, I'm reminded of conversations with a colleague of ours who works with another industry um, who stores their products in silos. Let's just leave it at that. Um, and um, like, a, like academic silos? No. Like, no, uh, like physical, silos, physical silos that you might store flour in, except it's not flour. It's something else. Okay? Yeah. And they get hot silos, right? They, there are silos that become – I don't want to say colonized, but there are – like let's say you have 10 silos where you're storing 10, 10 different you know, batches, let's say. Let's call them batches. It's um, called a batch um, of, of and, something in the and, silo. And something goes wrong, right? You put some bad product in and now that silo is contaminated. So what I would want to know from General Mills is, okay, so yeah, like you said, what are you doing to control this? And do, have, you, have you linked it – and maybe it's, maybe it's in the press release and I missed it. Um, have you linked it to a particular silo? And what have you done with the product in that silo? And what are you doing to sample that silo? And what are you doing to sanitize that silo? silo. And yeah, it's great to ask your suppliers to heat treat. Okay. But, but you know, anyway, it's, yeah. we, we, yeah, there's just, there's, I guess, and again, you know, we can't, we can fault them a little bit, but there's a lot of questions and we don't have answers to a lot of those questions. Well, and, and maybe the, like to, to play the, uh, the general mill side of things, maybe the answers to that is, you know what? We just don't know. All we have is epidemiological data that links the product. And maybe it's, um, you know, we can we can link the product to maybe one facility or link the product to multiple facilities and one supplier. Maybe we can't. I mean, that the, all that gray area that you and I are guessing at, maybe they also don't know. And, right. and it's like we've been presented with um, some of your flour has been linked specifically to illnesses. So now we're doing our best to try and find out what the source is. And maybe that's what that, that little one-line message is, is we haven't found it anywhere. What what's missing? This you know my my critique is well, what are you doing to look for it? And, and I know knowing the people that are there, I know the answer to that is nothing. Is not nothing, right? Like mm. they're they're doing a lot. I'm sure to try and find it. Um, yep. and, and so so tell us that story because that's that is what changes the discussion out there. You know, all of the the coverage to this right now is. Your E. coli's in flour. It's in something else. E. coli's everywhere. You throw out your flour. Not we've been. We've known 
for quite some time that E. coli and salmonella and listeria can survive and persist in low-moisture foods like flour. And here are all the things that we've done over the last 10 years to address that concern. And, and by the way, we've taken hundreds of samples. I mean, I don't know. Is, is that, does that inspire confidence to say we've taken hundreds of samples and we haven't found it? Does that make you look incompetent? Does it make you look like you're working really hard? Or does that make you look incompetent? I guess it depends where you're taking those hundreds of samples. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Well, well, yeah, but, but again, I'm thinking like, yes, I see you, what you're to yeah. you and I, yes, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. what about to the general public that doesn't understand the nuances of, of sampling, right? Or, yeah, we've taken hundreds of samples. We've invited the FDA in. <laughs> How about a blog post on that? Yeah, I, I right. read that blog post. Yeah, and that's I mean that's a good place that's a place to do it. Is this is not a press release type of story. This is um, give us give us all the stuff. Tell us where you're at right now. And, if, and you, you, know. you know, Ben, this food safety is not competitive. No, so, food safety is totally uh, not competitive. So, so they this. should be sharing all of this with uh, all of their their colleagues in the in the flower business. In the flower business, just telling us where what you're doing, so we yeah. so we all can learn from it and not compete with each other on food safety things. Right. Um, uh, I, I feel, um, it, 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 before we leave this, can we just, I, I've got here, let me get to my whiteboard. I'm gonna walk over. My whiteboard did not move from my, uh, um, office when the flooring was replaced. Um, but, oh, it's a little less echo, echoey next to my whiteboard. It is. That's, that's wow. A, that, wow. That's a different uh, audio there. I should have done the whole podcast over here. <laughs> um, so let me, I, I'm going to see if I can, do you hear that? No. Okay. Oh, that's my microphone against my. Oh, pocket. That, that I heard. Yeah. Yeah, I have a running total of um, just a, a big. Um, it's on my on my grease board here, as my dad would call it. Um, I have a uh, number of outbreaks that we have uh, that have been linked from uh, or solved or found due to whole genome sequencing. Oh, I just put I put oh, another my. one up on the board. All here. right. Yay! Whole genome sequencing. Well, now, now, so this was an inter- this that we we talked a little bit about this on Twitter in the pre-show. Um, was this whole genome sequencing? I believe or, it was. Or was it? Or was it? Uh, was it found well, by some other? I, I thought it was. Somebody was saying something about uh, Pete, or maybe I'm confused. Yeah. Oh, wait. So now, in the CDC page, it says. Public health investigators are using the PulseNet system to identify illnesses that may be part of this outbreak. Um, uh, PulseNet performs DNA fingerprinting on Aztec bacteria isolated from ill people using techniques called pulsed field gel electrophoresis and whole genome sequencing. Yeah, so, so and it so does say on that's the, the little ambiguous. Well, yes? it, does, it does say, though, in their page, uh, whole genome sequencing showed that isolates from ill people are closely related genetically. Right, but it doesn't say whether the initial break uh, came from yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. PFGE or WGS. I mean, right, I've right. got to, I've got to think that these these um, um, epi curves with the one and two cases uh, are a whole genome because it's just so low. Like, how would you link them? But but I but I don't know. I don't know how rare. The, that's another thing that would be interesting to know. How rare is this pulse type? Right. Well, right. and here's the um, here's the other thing uh, on whole genome sequencing that, that came up in a discussion that actually that I had at uh, the um, Florida Association for Food Protection uh, with with a couple of people is w- w- what so we know with with PFG that like you just said that there are common uh, PFG types there are common 
you know, things that look that, that may just persist. And Salmonella enteritidis is, is a really good example of like, we just know that that, that there's a specific PFG, you know, X1740 or whatever it is that's going to pop up in the, in, in the population all the time. And it's going to be related to eggs and it's hard to find outbreaks. What, what we don't know from whole genome sequencing with some of these pathogens is how, what it says it's closely related how many mutations that is and how how that might be conserved and and really in a time and space situation uh, there's probably an argument to be made that um that maybe we we know that they're really closely related but we don't know how common some some of the the exact genomes are right like it should right. be a little bit different but we don't i mean there's just not a lot there's just not a lot of data on that yet Right. And, yeah, like and, and, and for this particular outbreak, like, okay, so, uh, well, and I guess that doesn't, if we're using whole genome, it doesn't matter, but like how many, how many whole genome cases, uh, how many whole, how many people that are, that are sick from this same fingerprint, whether, whether it's PFGE or whole genome, um, uh, do you have that are not linked to this outbreak or are they all linked to this outbreak at this point? Right. And I mean, that little message here, um, of, uh, let's go back to this, uh, where is it? Uh, what people were linked to, what was it? over half? Okay. Um, 12 of 22 people reported specifically using gold metal brown brand flour, right? What if this is a wheat issue and not a flour issue? Right? What if this is a supplier, some massive, and I don't know the vertical integration and um, aspect of things, but what if what if you've got some massive flour production and that flour is going to multiple different millers, some of it going through general mills, some of it going through other flour um, millers? So, so yeah. yeah. That, we don't know that, you know, we, that in that whole root cause analysis, we don't know that yet. Don't eat, don't eat uh, raw dough. Don't play with dough. And uh, every time you bang into a flour bag in your pantry, and it may explode pathogens all over the place. That well, last one's fine. The last one, I just, that one's not in here. It's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and and yeah, so what is the recommendation, right? Like we have very cl- clear recommendations for what to do if you, let's say, spill chicken juice on the counter, right? That that's a high risk scenario. Yeah. I yeah. don't think. That getting some flour on the counter is a high risk scenario, but um, we we you know we we just don't we just don't really know, and we need we probably should we probably should have some advice to consumers around that. Um, I've got to think from a from a cross contamination perspective. We know that uh, wet uh, wet substances more readily cross contaminate. So I you know I think probably the best advice is if you if you spill dough on the counter you should clean it up Pro- i would say probably clean it up dry yep and then wash your hands and then clean the counter i would say don't don't clean it up wet cuz that's going to facilitate spread and cross contamination so clean it up dry and then wash your hands and clean the counters but but maybe you know, yeah let's throw that back let me throw that back at okay. you but maybe dry it facilitates the spread of those little particulates right like where wet you're going to potentially stop the it's not aerosolization, but that that puff spread, right? Like as I sweep up my flower, I'm I'm probably spreading it around. Where if I was wet, I would capture it, and now I have to clean and sanitize all the wet part. But I'm 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 circling that that area with 
So I'm not going to get that that spread through the air. And I'm, you know, I don't know. And I think that we're, that this is probably, honestly, from a risk perspective, I don't think this is a high risk food product. I don't think this is a, something that we really necessarily need to be. Cons- I mean, yes, this is a bad outbreak, and and yeah, yeah. we need to do a recall. But I don't, I don't know if if a consumer, if a consumer called you with advice on how to handle flour in their kitchen, what would you tell them? I, I mean, and they, and they had the recalled product. No, if they had, if they had the recalled product, then that's a different story. Okay, right? okay. I'm just yeah. saying. I'm just saying. Like the, in general, yeah, the outbreak is I'm, over. Six yeah. months, somebody calls you and say, "Hey, I was reading this thing about this outbreak. Um, I'm really worried about like, you know, what do I need to do to 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 clean and sanitize my kitchen because I'm a baker and I bake a lot. Um, what are you gonna or or let's say let's now okay, what are you gonna do differently? You Ben Chapman gonna yeah. do differently tomorrow when you are baking in your kitchen? Is as a result of this outbreak, okay, or as a result of everything that you know, do you do anything differently? I think I might treat my flour like soil coming in from the garden now, where that flour has a potential to to carry some sort of a pathogen, even though it's pretty small. So I'm gonna I'm gonna clean and sanitize like I would if if I brought in. Um, you know, tomatoes or something that, that may have some, some soil on it, which is not, it's not, that's not a high risk product, but I do, but I will, um, at, you know, after food prep, regardless of whether I'm, um, whether I'm making, um, you know, an egg dish or salsa or, um, you know, meat, I, I do clean and sanitize my countertop and I do pay particular attention to if there was soil there. And so, and I, and I would not have done that. I have not been doing that as it relates to flour specifically. Yeah. And And I I think I might do that different. I may do that differently now. And I think that's actually a really good analogy because if you think about, okay, so imagine that flour is soil, right? Are you going to eat the soil? No. Nope. Are you going to, if you brush that soil onto the floor, you bring the tomato in, the dirt falls on the counter, you brush it onto the floor, you have a small child walking through your kitchen. Um, well, okay, I'm going to clean that soil up because that small child is, you know, walking on their hands and knees. Um, uh, that's a risk, right? So I, actually, I think that's a, we've, I think we've hit on a, a really good analogy for getting people to think about that from the right degree of risk. It, it treat it like dirt from your garden. Yeah, and that dirt from the garden has probably a similar, like it potential. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's not all of it's going to be contaminated. No, in fact, most of it is is not. probably not. Well, yeah. and in fact, I would say the the, the soil the soil, soil might be better than your flower. Well, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it, it has good bacteria in it, Ben. The natural naturally occurring good bacteria in the soil. That's true. That's going to outcompete. In things. fact, you know what I'm going to say, Ben? What you should do right now, every time you have flour in your kitchen, just bring a boatload of dirt in, like a wheelbarrow full of dirt in from your garden and just dump it on the floor. <laughs> I, I may do that. I may I may go ahead and do that. Hey, so this leads to another question um, as it relates to uh, FSIS and FDA and their differences and how they approach pathogens. Do you think... This is a question that you and I will answer mm. that really FSIS would not answer. But do you think that they would look at flour with pathogens in it as being naturally occurring, like salmonella in raw chicken? It's a not ready to eat food. It's not typically eaten raw. 
Um, it, it, it's something that, you know, that, that I would hazard a guess that it is naturally occurring. It's not like there's an added level of contamination that's come in through the process, pro, you know, processing step. And we just assume that it's there. Like, so, but we know that FDA doesn't treat things that way. Like the, the, they, they would likely, and, and I, you know, again, this is new, but just based on how they're handling the messaging right now, that, that they, this, they're, you know, this is a one, two, one in, in a food product. This is a, um, this is an adulterant, right? In a, in FDA's world. Yep. Uh, but in FSIS, it's probably not. Nope. You're right. Interesting, right? Yeah, Interesting yeah. stuff. Well, and this is why we need it. This is this the division between the agencies is artificial, right? And the yep. bacteria don't care. They don't <laughs> care at all. It doesn't care whether it's in chicken or in flour or E. coli. doesn't care whether it's in beef or in flour. Um, yeah. So we need a single food safety agency, Ben. Would you, yeah. Would you get on that? I'm I'm out I'm out on that. I get, we'll get too bored, Don. We'll have to do something else. Um, but okay, so let's let's go back to the flower world though a little bit here, and and think about it uh, analogous to uh, the frozen food, frozen vegetable world. Is flour a not ready food? Does it have validated cooking steps on it? Does it say I don't know? I haven't even looked at the packaging. Does it say don't consume flour raw? It should. Like, it should. It, it should. totally should. Right? Like it's. It's not. And, and if we look at it just like frozen, frozen vegetables, it's not got a validated step as far as we know for yep. taking care of the pathogens. Yep. Um. So it, it. And it's something. Yeah. I don't know. This. It's. This is a fun one. Not. I, and I say fun one to look at. Is you know who it's not fun for? The thirty-eight people that got sick. You know, I, I bet there's a lot of folks at General Mills that aren't having a very good time either. They're not no. sick, but they're they're probably not having any fun. No. Uh, but yeah, no. This is this a this a good it's a good question. Yeah. So and, and there's no. I mean, next week we're gonna have something else, right? It'll be paprika or some other. No, we've seen like some other food that we've that we've never seen a pathogen with. Have we almost run out of foods that we haven't seen pathogens in now? Well, here's the thing, Ben. If you were paying attention, attention. Or attention, either one. I'm paying um, attention. Uh, I, pay, I paid attention one time to park. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and you read an article that was published several years ago by Bill Sperber about pathogens in flour. Um, this should not come as a surprise. No, not at all. It shouldn't. It shouldn't come as as a surprise. We. Um, <laughs> can I tell you a Bill Sperber story? Oh, please! I love a good Bill Sperber story. So Bill Sperber. Um, was at the New York Academy of Sciences meeting that I was at a few years ago in, mm-hmm. in Manhattan, which was cool. My, my only time I've been to Manhattan, I loved it. Mm. Um, and Bill, so it was a, a really kind of interesting meeting. Uh, Gary Acuff uh, was part of the organizing committee, and it was with this group called the Sackler Institute, which is like a nutrition group at um, New York Academies of Science. And they said, okay, we're going to put together one day on food safety. And so, um, so uh, Dane uh, Bernard was there. Wait, which Dane? Which Dane is your graduate student? Not Dane Bernard. Jensen. Jensen Dane is Jensen. my graduate student. Yeah, I can't get the Danes. I get the Danes. They're very different. Stuff. The two of them. They're very different, but I like both of them. <laughs> Dane Bernard, um, uh, Acuff, Manpreet Singh, Linda Harris, uh, B- Bob Brackett, uh, Frank Giannis, um, uh, Carol Birdbrenner Smith, Birdbrenner, Carol Bird Brebenner. Breadbender, yep. just just uh, someone. someone so, hold on, Ben. Someone is knocking on my door. Did oh, I knock on my door? It's a Three's Company reference. You can keep talking. 
And so yeah, I will, I will. So at uh, the New York Academies of Science, we uh, we talked about um, a whole bunch of food safety things. And Bill Sperber from uh, the the old HACCP days got really um, upset about how HACCP is misused. So much that he took his cane and he banged it on a table. Are you back yet? I, so I've had a – let me just take a minute and tell our listeners about a, a lovely – woman who's been visiting my lab she oh. came all the way from denmark she's actually leaving right this minute and she's come to say goodbye so this is like real time life in extension specialist john chaffner lab time and if i don't awesome. if i don't stop right now and say goodbye to her ben you're gonna be, i'm not, you're I'm not gonna be able to say goodbye to her so why don't you stop and say goodbye i, I will we'll fix this in 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 post yeah. okay hold, also, hold on she's She's Dane, and we were just talking about Dane. Well, she's German, actually, but she, oh. she goes to school in Denmark. Okay, good. Yeah, you go ahead. So I'll, you, I'll, I'll, hold on. It's just a whistle or something. Do, do, do. Thank you so oh, much, Okay, I'm back. It's like who could, was, who could this obnoxious person be knocking on my door? And it's this lovely, lovely woman that's been visiting my lab for like uh, several months and doing, nice. doing great work. I was nice. I'm glad I could hear that from the background. <laughs> it was a very nice. Maybe, maybe we'll just leave that in. We might. We might just leave it in. It's it, it adds a little bit of uh, realness to 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 you and I. Oh, okay. So so my my Bill Sperber end of Bill Sperber story was he got really really upset. Uh, about how Hassab is being misused and banged his cane on a desk. And, and I he, tell people when I teach the them thing. about Hassab that that if you misuse Hassab, the Bill Sperber is going to bang his cane at you. And and Bill is one of the most quiet, non-emotional people I've ever met. So for him uh-huh. to get that angry, that is uh, wow. He was a, yeah. It was it, it was it, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was good. That was fun. It was yeah. a fun meeting. So, so, uh, so there's an article published by uh, Dr. Sperber in 2007 entitled The Role of Microbiological Guidelines in the Production and Commercial Use of Milled Cereal Grains, a Practical Approach for the 21st Century. And uh, he says that uh, there's uh, E. coli and salmonella in uh, grains. So there well, you go. And, and, uh, and I'd add uh, Listeria onto that now. Yes. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say so? Oh, yeah. But I'm, I'm not worried about. I mean, really, I'm not. Well, we, boy, we should talk about listeria and frozen food on on an episode sometime. We have in the past, um, and I guess we probably will in the future. But I would say I'm much again. My I am generally much less worried about listeria um, because it it takes high levels to make people sick. I am much more worried about O157H7 or O121 or Salmonella because even a single cell can make someone sick. So absolutely. And and the problem with listeria and frozen foods is that probably there are higher doses being produced, and also frozen foods, if they're not handled correctly, can support the growth. So right, right, and, and, and um, uh, our just a little bit of follow up. Um, our good friend, good friendship manual, um, gave us some some follow up via email about um, low dose listeria in certain outbreaks. Oh, should we talk about this? I think we should. Shouldn't should we? I like. I, I want to get. Uh, I want you know we got we got some we got some time, don't we? You want to uh, you want to wait? You want to hold it? Well, no. Well, no, because who knows when we'll get to record again? Because uh, you know, right? my, it could be my office that needs cleaning. Could um, be. Uh, 
Yeah, well, let's 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 end on because I've I've also got a meeting uh, with a graduate student at um, at the top of the hour. So, You're okay. But yeah, so uh, yeah, so we we will we will we let's let's just we'll we'll, we'll do five minutes. We'll five do five minutes. minutes. Five okay. minutes. I got, we're gonna do five. He's gonna do five. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just yelling at people now. Actually, no one. I'm just yelling at our listeners. So, so thanks to to Chip uh, uh, Manuel, who, who uh, Chip Manuel, also known as Clyde, Clyde um, the Glad Manuel. <laughs> that's great. Um, he says, "I was listening to 101 Dalmatians. I enjoyed the discussion. I wanted to share." Uh, uh, someone from FDA represented FDA sampling efforts from milkshakes. Two things that shocked me were they found LM in 100% of every sample tested. My question would be how big is a sample? Mm-hmm. I think a sample is pretty big. I think a sample is a a box of ice cream, a container of ice cream. Um, the vast majority of samples had extremely low, uh, so that's a less than 1 to 7 um, uh, MPN per gram. Okay. Uh, one of the presenters commented uh, patients were uh, in the hospital for immune issues. These two factors, low levels and immune status, means that the outbreak was likely caused by lower LM levels than previously thought. Yeah. And, and, and he says, and Mickey Parrish was asked if FDA would ever likely relax their zero tolerance, and the answer was a firm no based on Bluebell. Okay, but that's – and again, we see, we see uh, Mickey's slide set, which is available, uh, says that the new – this is looking at the FDA uh, Listeria dose response model. The new model predicts 3.5% of annual cases, 55 of 1,600 cases linked to consumption of – 10,000 CFU or less, um, and okay, so that's 100 gram servings at 100 CFU per gram. So, okay, that's that's fine. But uh, again, um, so all right, so 3.5 percent of cases are linked to this low dose. So, if and you pro- were, probably all with immunocompromised immunocompromised people, right? Individuals, exactly. right? And, yeah. that, and that's fine. And that, and that that I don't I don't dispute that. I still think we we need a we need to move away from zero tolerance. But that's just that's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, and and so I, here's maybe the um, where, where we can end is maybe we move away from zero tolerance, except like what happens in the food code, right? Where we have differing rules for for folks that that we know are um, at higher risk. Right, like we, with long-term care facilities, high-risk, um, uh, high-risk individuals, we, we don't allow. Um, if you know, the food code doesn't allow for consumer advisories or undercooked meat or or things like uh, you know things like that. Where we run into problems, you know, is how do we manage zero tolerance for folks that are at home? Right, right, like that, it, it, or. Um, you know, we have we have a pro, we have products like like these milkshakes that um, that that may may have been you know just minorly contaminated, minorly like, like light treason. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a uh, Arrested Development reference. Um, but but we but it's with a, a population that can't handle it. That three point five percent. So so we have to treat it differently. So we have different levels of zero tolerance, I guess. Or <laughs> that's not how what I meant. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like no. we have zero tolerance for different audiences. Oh, that's well, I mean. right. Yeah, for sure. I, so for the general public, maybe it's not a zero tolerance, right. but for immunocompromised people, it is. Zero, and that makes sense. I, would, I would agree yes. with that. There you go. So, so we, we, we're all happy. <laughs> there you go. 
Good. Well, hey, I think that's a show. What a great day we had. What a great day. Thank you, Don. I, I, you, you know what? I like. Um, I, I was. I like that. I got to focus on you today. <laughs> it was good. This is fun. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. Now I'm. I'm a little worried, Ben. No, don't be worried. Don't we? You know what we didn't mention? We have seven minutes. You know that uh, Michelle Danilik asked me to talk about the tragically hit. I tried to at ten o'clock today when we were recording a podcast. I tried to get tickets for um, this uh, Canadian band, the Tragically Hip. They are um, they are ending. The Tragically Hip um, will will cease to be a, a band because, really sadly, their lead singer Gord Downey uh, has a terminal brain cancer, and wow. they are yeah, it's it's horrible. Um, yeah. they they are uh, doing. Uh, a set of shows um, in the last, you know, in July and August this year as a send off and uh, saying this is important for us um, and uh, important for Gord. And, and so, anyway, sad, sad days. Uh, Im- important band in, in the world of uh, Canada. Uh, and, uh, and, and I, I had tried to, I wanted to, I, I knew that it was pretty unrealistic that I would be going. To one of their final shows, uh, and I was not able to get tickets while we were while we were recording our podcast today. So, oh, I'm sorry about that. It's okay. It's all right. It's uh, um, I, I have seen this band more than any other band um, that that I have uh, seen live, and uh, very much uh, linked to my high school and college years. Uh, and they are um, one they encapsulate something that is hard to explain about Canada because we don't, they they make rock and roll songs that are not like Nickelback or they, they have their own flavor and style, almost like, like Rush and Neil Young do, but captured a phase in Canadian, um, uh, culture, uh, over the last uh, 25 years that, uh, that I think it's hard to find a Canadian that lives in the U S that doesn't have a very tight connection to the tragically hip. So hmm. yeah, just like stomping Tom Connors. Sure. Just like that. He's a good guy too. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So Gord Downey too bad, uh, bad, uh, bad situation, but, uh, it all, it all, we all, we all go, Don, we all go. Hmm. Um, hey, so I think that's a show. That's a podcast. I, I, I think so. I think so. We think we've, uh, I think we've, we've, we've covered it all. We've covered the waterfront, as they say. We did. We've covered the waterfront. Uh, we've uh, got line, lined things up on the beaches um, in, the, in the bay. The bay is covered. Uh, all right. Uh, we will, uh, we'll talk again. Uh, thanks a lot. And bye-bye. Bye.
Boom. Nice, nice, nice. It was a weird one today. I liked it. I liked it a lot, Don. We did stuff. I talked. We ranted. Yeah, it was good. It was, al- it was almost like a whole flower flower show. Flower whole, power. Whole, holy flower. Holy flower. And uh, and then I go to Nebraska. Nebraska. Oh, for yeah. your E. coli meeting? For E. coli meeting, 14th, 15th, 16th, and then to Canada, 17th to the 24th, returning back for Wait, a wait. You're going to Canada for – oh, okay. Yeah. My parents get have their uh, anniversary. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's not – their anniversary is in August, but they're celebrating it on in June. Is that like a, is that a regulatory requirement of the it government? It is. It is. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. They, it's the end of the fiscal year. <laughs> <laughs> have to do it. Have to complete it all before June. Uh, so uh, anyway, um, cool. Go meet with your student. Um, oh, and- so hey, uh, did you did you research the inverted method on your AeroPress, Ben? As, no, as Clyde is recommending. Not yet. Don't I, do, it. I, I do, do it. Well, I don't. I don't use it. But but you know you you should whatever. Um, so my AeroPress arrived. I have oh. not. I have not used it yet. So. Oh, you got to use it. Ben. I'm going to. I'm going use to. It. I just haven't. I, I've got. I, we've been. We've been busy. We've been busy. I got. I was away. <laughs> and then I came back and I uh, had to write stuff. Well, we um, we have actually ordered a an AeroPress for the lab. Ooh. Um, because uh, we're going to start making coffee because our regular coffee place is actually uh, closed uh, during the summer, which which kind of bumps us out. But we're we're uh, we're taking advantage of it, and we're we're going to start making brewing our own artisanal coffee here and right in the laboratory. Perfect. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so uh, so food safety, tragically hip, WWDC. <laughs> yeah, uh, artisanals. Uh, and uh, the inverted method, and uh-huh. all right, good. Yeah, that's I good. Think that's we just, I think we got. I think that's a show. Check, check, check. All right, I'll talk all right. To talk later. to you later. Bye, bye.